0: To all who are joining us here this evening from around the world. Tonight's class is graciously dedicated by David and Ida Schottenstein in the loving and sacred memory of Rabbi Gabi and Rifki Holtzberg and all of the Kedoshim who were massacred in last year's terrorist attack in Mumbai, India. This evening we are going to explore one of the intriguing components of the story of Noah and the flood as the waters of the flood recede Noah wants to determine what is happening outside of the ark open up your sources source number one right below the video you have a curriculum And source number one tells us the story. Forty days have ended. Noah opens the window of the ark which he built. He sends out the raven. The ark was filled with Noah, his wife, his children, their wives, and... As the Torah records, every species of animals which was also taken into the ark, including birds, Noyach sends out the raven. The raven bird kept going and returning until the waters dried from upon the surface of the earth. It would seem as if the raven did its job admirably and successfully and the story should have ended right here. The raven was hanging around, the raven was coming and returning but would not go back into the ark until the water dried up, until the surface of the earth was dried and then we can assume the raven went and found a new location for itself because it could dwell on the land. So we can expect the story to stop right here. But no, the Torah continues and describes a drawn out process in which Nayak now sends out a dove three times. And you could continue in source number one. The next section is what happens. Noach now sends out a dove to see if perhaps the water has receded from the earth. And what happens? The dove cannot find a place to rest. The dove cannot find a place to dwell. And therefore, what does it do? It returns to the ark. The dove, not finding a place where it can settle, a place to rest, the earth is still engulfed in water, so the dove can't rest anywhere, comes back to the ark. Noach waits seven days, and he sends out the dove a second time. And what happens now? Now the dove returns with a plucked olive leaf. This time, the dove comes with this plucked olive leaf. This indicates that the water has receded significantly to the extent that there are trees that are visible, there's an olive tree visible, and the dove could have plucked a leaf from this olive tree. Nayak waits another seven days, and he sends out the dove from the ark a third time. What happens now? This time it doesn't return any longer. At last, the dove encountered a space to dwell. The earth was once again habitable. So the first time he sends the dove out, it comes right back. He takes it back into the ark. Second time, it still returns with a plucked leaf in its mouth. Wait seven days, sends it out again. The third time, it doesn't come back. It found a place where it can live and rest. Why the need to send two birds, a raven and a dove? Question number one. Question number two. Why these birds? From all the birds that Noach could have sent, he chose the raven and the dove. Why these specific birds? Whereas the Netziv, Reb Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin in his commentary here, and Hamik Dover asks the question, he says, there are birds which fly faster than the raven and the dove. But Noah chose precisely these birds. And why this order? First he sends out the raven, and then afterwards he sends out the dove. This is the third question. The commentators of the Torah over the generations have struggled with these questions and this particular story. Various commentators offering different insights and perspectives into the story. Tonight, we are going to explore one dimension based on the works of Kabbalah and Hasidus, of Jewish mysticism and spirituality. The raven, as we know, has a long-standing negative reputation. Because of its black plumage, its croaking call, its diet of carrion, the raven has long been considered an unkind bird. There is an interesting verse that our sages, the rabbis, quote, source number two. In Psalms, Tehillim Kuf Memzai, in Psalms chapter 147, which is part of the morning Shachris daily service. We praise Hashem, what do we say? lachma, oidev God gives, God provides bread for the animal, and He provides... Nutrition for the children of the raven, which call out for food. From all the animals, why did King David, why did David and Malik choose the children of the raven, Asha Yikro, which call out for food? Source number three, the Ebenezer, Rabbeinu Avram Ebenezer, in his commentary on Ilam says, Hiski Rabbeinu. Source number three. He mentions the animal which doesn't always have the ability to prepare food for herself. And the Tehillim mentions particularly from all of the birds the offspring of the raven. Why? Because there are scholars among the Gentiles who say that their parents abandoned them after birth. And hence the children of the raven are hungry. Ye crow, they're screaming out, they're hungry, they want to eat. So God makes sure to provide specially for the offspring of the raven. In fact, this source which the Avanezra brings in from the Gentiles is also brought in a few places in Midrash. That the children of the raven need special nurture and care. This is one of the reasons the rabbis say that the raven is singled out as a non-kosher bird. Most birds are kosher, but there are those which are not and one of them is the raven. And this is one of the reasons because it's seen to have an unkind Nature And therefore, it ought not to be part of the kosher diet. Modern Western culture has continued this trend. There's the famous uh, Edgar Allan Poe poem where he portrays the raven as the grim animal and having a grim spectral presence. There is the famous uh, legend, well it's not a legend, I guess the interpretation of it is a legend. If you go tour London or you live in London, you know that there is a particular flock of ravens which attained uh, fame or have become infamous by taking up residence at the Tower of London. And there are those who like explaining the, the, explaining the significance of the fact that the Tower of London is a site of many gruesome beheadings, of many royal executions. And I believe that to this very day, the guards warn visitors and tourists from getting too close lest the raven supplement their usual diet of carrion with a tourist's uh, finger or toe. We have an expression in the Bible, black as a raven, dark as a raven. Its color also did not contribute uh, much positivity to its reputation. Some even want to explain that the reason it's called an oirev, the etymology of the word oirev is the word erev, which means evening or night because of its black uh, plumage. There is a fascinating interpretation in Hasidic works. Open up source number four, the Be'er Mayim Chaim, authored by Reb Chaim Chernovitz, one of the great Hasidic early Hasidic masters, a student of the Magad of the Mizrit, of Mizritch. The Be'er Mayim Chaim writes, source number four of Inyanu Kia Oyrev Avera. The word Oyrev has in it the letters of the word Avera, which means transgression. Vegam Oyrev Levad and the very word Oirev, Ayin Vav, reish Vav, it's a combination of two words, Boy Ra, there is negativity in him. Boy in him, base Vav Ra, there is negativity. Ra. boy because there's a certain attribute of negativity which has become entrenched and rooted in the raven. Well Shimeish And therefore the Talmud says in tractate Sanhedrin 108, and Rashi quotes in here, that the raven illegally had intimacy, had intimate relations in the ark, which was forbidden to Noach, to his family, and to all of the animals in the ark during the year of the flood. As the world was being devastated and destroyed, those who were being saved in the ark were not allowed to enjoy intimate relations. The humans as well as the animals, there were three exceptions the Talmud says, Chom, the son of Noach, the dog, and the raven. In fact, the Erechayim, for example, Rabbi Noachayim ben Utter in his commentary believes that Noach didn't send the raven to go check the state of the world in relationship to the water. That's why he sent the dove. When it comes to the raven, he actually expelled the raven from the ark, according to the Urachaim. He expelled him. So the Be'er Mayim Chaim explains that the very word oirev connotes a negative quality. Now let's go to the dove, the second bird, the Yaina. The dove, on the other hand, is a symbol of tenderness, of loyalty, of kindness. The image of the dove bearing an olive branch, originating in this week's portion in Noyach, Resonates in communal consciousness as the symbol of peace. Even if the peace that it represents seems to flee even further. The Song of Songs, Shir Hashirim, compares time and time again. The beautiful bride to the dove. Why? Take a look, source number 5, the Medrash and Shir Hashirim. Ashi, Medrash Rabasher Ashirim quotes the verse, "Hinach yafar ayasi, Hinach yafar enayich yonim." You're beautiful, my wife. You're beautiful. Your eyes are like the eyes of the dove. Why the unique comparison to the dove from all birds? May yoyinot snuah kach just as the dove is modest, Israel is modest. My yoyinazu Misha shemakeres ben zuga ena me'miro Just as the dove, once it recognizes its mate, it does not substitute its mate for another one. Unlike most animals who can enjoy mating with many, many different ones, even in the same season, the dove is unique, as there are another few animals. Once it recognizes its mate, its partner, it will not go to somebody else. It will not have intimacy with somebody else. Thus, the Song of Songs compares the Jewish people, the Bride of God, to the Dove, because once the Jews recognized God, they would never substitute Him with anybody else. Although many nations of the world and civilizations and cultures invited the Jew to participate in pagan idolatry or in different forms of idolatry, they were like the Dove eternally loyal to their God, to their soulmate. It's unique indeed because not only is it a kosher bird, unlike the raven, it was the one chosen by the Torah to be used continuously in the Holy Temple as a sacred divine offering, testifying to its sublime and spiritual potential. In Kabbalistic and Hasidic terminology, the oirev and the yoyna, the raven and the dove, represent the attributes of gvura versus chesed. The raven represents gvura, aggression, strength, sternness. It is a very uh, aggressive bird. The dove, in contrast, represents chesed, kindness, tenderness, loyalty, empathy. Based on the contrast between the raven and the dove we can now appreciate the deeper rhythms behind the Nayak story. You see initially Nayak felt that the proper approach in a post-flood universe must be that of the raven. The approach must be toughness, roughness and unkindliness. After all Noyach thought humanity deteriorated because it was spoiled rotten. And therefore it grew arrogant and became morally promiscuous and depraved. Humanity, Noyach felt, received too much love, too much nurture, too much affection. Life was too good. They had abundance of blessings. They had too much generosity. And this allowed people to lose their priorities to forfeit their moral compass, to take life for granted. It nurtured selfishness and narcissism to the point of moral depravity. Now, Nayakh assumes, we have to start all over again. And who must show the way? Who must lead our path out of the ark? It must be the raven. The new world order must be based on sternness, strength, discipline, harshness, aggression, strict judgment. These qualities must prevail if we want to ensure that civilization does not revert again to social and moral chaos. We can understand Noah's perspective. You sometimes encounter an addict, somebody who destroyed or is destroying his or her life with their addiction to various Destructive substances, whether it's alcohol, drugs, and so on and so forth. Immoral relationships. We sometimes feel that we can treat these addicts merely through kind words, through encouraging words, through loving words. But we know often that's not the case. Sometimes if you only employ chesed without gvura, without very strict borders and discipline and harsh consequences. The addict will never learn his or her lesson. Some people are enablers. Some family members enable addicts to continue their destructive behavior because they want to be kind and loving. But Nayak understands the world reached a place of such addiction after which there was no return. There was only destruction which is essentially the theme behind the flood story, now we need the raven to guide us. We need gvura to guide us. We need harshness and strength to define the new world order. There is also another component here. It's not just using the raven as a guide for society and for people individually and collectively. It also has to do with an inner psychological response to a flood. And we can understand this well in our lives as well. People who have experienced a flood in their life, in one form or another, people who have felt the turmoil, the stress, people who have suffered pain and disappointment in life, and a part of them has drowned, a part of them was consumed and overwhelmed by a flood. They often feel that the only way for them to build a new life for themselves is by adopting the qualities and the attitudes of the raven. They develop a rough shell, a dark plumage, a dense crust, an aggressive disposition. They become tough, strong and stern. Sometimes they become very cynical and suspicious as their hearts shut down. They devour because they're scared to embrace. Can we blame them? They are afraid to be abused again. They can't endure the pain twice. They realize that if they're going to display the vulnerability, loyalty, kindness, empathy, softness, they may be hurt yet again. If they trust once again, they will be failed and they will not be able to bear. The suffering twice. So what do they do? They decide that in the post-flood reality, when you try to rebuild your life from destruction, when you try to renovate your life from demolition, from disappointment, from pain and suffering, whatever type of pain and suffering, the proper approach, the leader must be who? The raven. You can't be too kind. You can't be too loving. You won't survive. And yet, Nayak soon understood that the raven must be followed by the dove. Because with a raven, you can't rebuild a world. The raven is good to be sure to remain in the peripheral. The raven kept going and returning until the waters dried from upon the earth. It is important and productive to employ the raven to encompass and envelop the earth the raven is important to have in order to give borders to love to create limits for vulnerability and to ensure that a person does not get hurt once again the raven must hover over the new world returning going and returning going and returning protecting a new society from a love which can be destructive from a kindness which can be counterproductive from generosity which can cause more pain than benefits yes but who must lead the way in settling the new world in rebuilding a shattered civilization you need a dove the primary driving force in life must be love Loyalty, compassion, trust. Must you have a raven above to control, to make sure that your compassion and empathy is not destroying yourself and others? It's not allowing addicts and it's not allowing bad people to get away with murder in the name of love and generosity? Of course. But the ultimate driving force in settling a world and building a world must be love. And this is true in our lives as as well because each of us has disappointments in life some of our disappointments are caused by people some are caused by nature and by God some people feel that they have been let down by those who were supposed to be there for them most mothers fathers siblings people who were supposed to love them and yet who failed them sometimes at a very young age we can understand when these people decide to develop a raven attitude to protect themselves even Noach himself did just that he sent out the raven yet the human soul is capable of much more it is capable of not allowing the pain of life to deprive it from its greatest power and potential the ability to love so even Noach ultimately understood that notwithstanding what occurred, he also has the power to send out the dove to ultimately establish the foundations of the new settlement on earth. This idea has profound resonance for our own generation. Because during the past six and a half decades, the Jewish people have been attempting to recover from a flood. A flood which destroyed a third of our nation. A flood which consumed one and a half million children sent to the gas chambers while almost nobody uttered more than a pips. Understandably, survivors the hundreds of thousands of survivors who often lost every single member of their family, barbarically tortured or murdered. Understandably, their hearts swelled with bitterness, mistrust, and profound pain. They could have easily turned into ravens, projecting hatreds, cynicism, mistrust onto their spouses, their children, their grandchildren. And yet, a miracle occurred. Nothing short than a miracle. They learned from Noah's example. They replaced the raven with the dove. Or at least they allowed the dove to follow the raven. The survivors for the most part built families and showered their children with opportunity and love, with confidence and hope. Sure, we know how many of the, of the children of survivors suffered and suffer till today from the paralyzing silence that pervaded their homes. But most of us can testify to the fact that most of our parents and grandparents did the best they could under the horrific circumstances they endured to protect and nurture their loved ones and give them the opportunity to celebrate life to allow the dove to lead the way instead of the raven. Once read an account of a Holocaust survivor who was in Auschwitz and as he was in the death camp he would watch the sun rise each morning and he grew very angry at the sun how can you dear to rise up in the morning and cast your charming and warm rays over Auschwitz a place where so many innocent people are being murdered on a daily basis how do you have the chutzpah to be so indifferent to continue to rise and give light in a place where there is so much darkness it was as though nature has become completely indifferent indifferent to the fate of millions and millions he survived the war and he wrote that the day after liberation as he was in freedom and liberty and he saw the sun rise he expressed gratitude to the sun he expressed thankfulness to the sun that it would continue to rise it would continue to represent hope and light in the face of such profound darkness he he gave thanks to the sun and to nature of God's world which demonstrated to him the fact that after the flood you can still send out a dove I don't think it would be possible for us or many of us who grew up in freedom and grew up more or less in prosperity to be able to make such a statement without being accused of either being immature or insensitive or ignorant or even cruel. But this was the great miracle of this generation, a generation we now increasingly bid farewell to, as so many of the survivors have already passed on and their numbers decrease every year. But it's an eternal gratitude that we the Jewish people, especially younger Jews, have to express to them for showing the way of after such an unprecedented and disproportional flood, they were determined To rebuild their lives, the lives of their families, the lives of our homeland of Israel, the lives of the Jewish people. And to the best of their ability, do it with love and with a positive attitude and with a celebration of life. May we in our lives emulate their example. Have a good night.